0: Thank you for joining us for this DP City Church podcast. Connect, grow, serve.
1: All right, good evening you guys. You survived the um storm the storm watch. Hello, Asia. All right. Hey, we're going to open in prayer. So, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for the freedom to worship in church, to talk about you, to ask questions, to discover all about you and what you have for us. I pray over this evening that you would give us wisdom, give us knowledge, give us understanding. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, so when we started the EDGE classes on Sunday nights, actually, there's a whole acronym to it. I, don't, I forgot to ask Kyle for it. But anyways, one of them, sorry is for evangelism. So tonight we're going to talk about evangelism. And I know there's a lot of different um, ideas of evangelism, different ways that people evangelize. Some people like to use tracks. Some people like to use bumper stickers. I hate bumper stickers. I, hate, I never want. To, I, I need to put somebody else's church on my car. That way if I do something wrong, like they all get mad at another church. <laughs> I was driving somewhere the other day and I have signs for the school in my car and I always forget and I wanted so bad to honk my horn and was like, no, I can't do it. I've got the school. Can't do it. All right, so we're going to talk about evangelism. So Christ gave us two major things that we're supposed to do as Christians. The first one is the Great Commission. In Mark 16, 15, it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I have to say, I used to think that go into all the world meant that we must all go into the uttermost parts of the earth. But how many know him it can be an uttermost part of the earth? There's some places, I'm telling you. All right. And the second thing that God commanded was the great commandment. In Matthew 22, it says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's two big messages of Jesus that he told us to do. And we have to take them together. Love every Christian. Love every person, Christian or not. And even if they're not a Christian, do what you can to change that. So there's two major things. You should love everyone as you love yourself and as you love God. But you should also do everything you can to point them to Christ. If we do one or the other, it's not a balanced message. If we do only one... It's not a balanced message. If we are too heavy-handed with you're going to hell, turn or burn, kind of heavy-handed, but on the flip side, if we just love everybody, it's okay, you're all right, it's not a big deal. Yes, Jesus loves you, but you never point them back to the cross, which is the other half of that great commandment. So, Jesus didn't direct us to love other people only once they became Christians and got their lives together, lent us money, Showed us how much they liked us. God commanded that we love everyone. 1 Corinthians says If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr but I don't love, I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Now, I don't know about you, but we've probably all seen the um, the guys, I don't know if they still do it, where they stand outside with the picket signs, you know, if you're gay, you're going to hell, or maybe even outside an abortion center yelling hate, but at the same time, they're carrying signs and wearing T-shirts showing what church they go to or about how God is loved, but yet their actions don't show love. And so at the flip side, it makes it as though the message of the cross is only hate and you follow our way. Otherwise, God doesn't love you, but that's not the message of the cross. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You know, the Bible says that The more we have of God within us, the more we have of the Holy Spirit, the more it empowers us to the message of the cross. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Should I pose right here? Sorry. It threw me off. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The more we have of God within us, the more we have to give that love in different ways to other people to point them to the cross. But how do we get more of God in us? Anybody? Anybody? All right. Never mind. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, I'm sorry, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, how do you get more of God in you? You put in more of the Word of God. So, the more Word of God you have in you, the more you know the truth, the more you know the truth, the more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. I've known a lot of people who can spew a lot of the Word, but they don't have love. You can have theologians. That go and study the Bible, but it doesn't make them a Christian. It just makes them a studier of ancient books and texts. It doesn't mean anything until you actually apply the Word of God. I grew up in church. Obviously, we've had a lot of tent revivals. anybody ever gone to a tent revival? Okay, tent revivals. Or how about just a revival in general? You know, you have you have something that happens in church, or maybe a tent, or an outside, or a field. Somebody with a microphone, you have loud music and lights, and then you have really quiet worship. And then you have a long offering where they talk about money and giving, and you need to give to your community. And then you have a spit-yelling, spit, spit yelling, loud preacher who talks about how you need to find God. And then people get healed, saved, delivered. God shows up. It's amazing. Let's all come back tomorrow night and do it again. So we come back tomorrow night. We do it again. We bring more people. They get healed saved, delivered, set free, they do it again, maybe five or six days, we do it a week in a row, and they're like, okay, we all got to go back to work, let's wait for the next move of God, right? Anybody ever heard, we're waiting for the next move of you? You are the move of God. So as long as we stand around and we wait for the preacher to get up in the pulpit and hold the microphone and tell us what to do this week, all we're doing is waiting. We're waiting for the next move of God, but I think that whole waiting word needs to be taken out. Because last time I checked, we are the church. We are—we make up the body of Christ. It's not the building. This is a great building. But if the building went away, we're still here. We are the body of Christ. It says this in Corinthians. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the fact the body is not one member but many. I should have used a different version. That one's kind of confusing. Basically, we are the body of Christ. We are the church. We are the ones that God has called. It's not just the pastor who gets up with the microphone. Because really at the end of the day, his job is to preach the word, whether microphone or not. Give you the word. Give you the wisdom. Give you the guidance to move forward to actually Be the church outside of the building. So we all end up being the church, being the evangelistic, being the ones who are supposed to go out. It doesn't matter if you are supposed to be here in Hemet or the team that went to Honduras or San Jacinto or L.A. or Florida. It doesn't matter. Wherever you go, you're evangelizing. You know, it's like what I said about the magnet on my car. I'm evangelizing something. I'm giving a word about something. Whatever your business is, you got to be careful. How many have ever been behind a really slow tr- truck on the way up to Idlewild? Your hand went up, and I didn't even ask the whole question. You already knew. That was the spirit of God right there. How many have ever been behind a really big truck, and it says, how am I driving? I've wanted to call so many times. Like, well, he's not driving well because he won't take the turnouts, and we're all going 20 miles an hour behind him. But their event, they're giving notice about what their job, what their um, what their company is all about. That's a reputation. What kind of a reputation are we giving out to people around us? If we're only giving the message of the cross without the love of God, we're heavy-handed. We're we're unbalanced, and if we're only on this side and saying, "Well, yes, all all roads lead lead to God," because God is the main character and the story, and so as long as I love you, you'll find your way to God. Well, that's unbalanced. Yes, God says love everyone, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't love the sin. I don't love the the things that go with it, but I love them to the cross. I point them in the direction of the cross into changing their lives for the better. Years ago, I was standing at um, an ATM. This may be 10 years ago, and you know, they charge you for every place you go that's not there. ATM. And at the time it was a bank that didn't have a lot of places. So I pull up and I am I get out and there's like 10 or 15 people in line for this ATM. And I really needed to get whatever it was I was getting and obviously money, but I don't know why. And So I'm standing in line kind of waiting. Well then I realize there's two ATMs, but everybody's only going to one. But there's no sign on the other one. So I'm like five minutes in. It's taking forever. So I lean over to the person in front of me. I'm like, hey, how come we're only using one ATM? I don't know, somebody said it's broken. Oh man, so we're all kind of way, people are grumbling, people are complaining, because you know if you go in the bank, you get charged even more. So nobody wants to go in the bank. So we're all standing there, A couple more minutes go by and I'm like, but anybody check the ATM? Like I'm getting really impatient. Anybody check the ATM? Like there's no sign on it. They're like, no, no, but the last couple people, they all said, you know, the ATM's not working all right so I wait a couple more minutes finally I'm like forget it I'm getting out of line I'm like do you mind if I go check the ATM they're like no I don't think it works great I go over to the ATM totally works it was amazing there's no sign there's no nothing I'm like doing my business I get my money I'm like hey guys totally works I get back in my car I told Steve you know we were talking about it last night and I said you know isn't that funny sometimes it just takes one person one person to think outside the box to take the initiative to go gosh that person looks kind of sad today. That person looks really happy. I wonder what's going on. That person looks like they need Jesus. Guy, I feel like I should go say this to that person or gosh. I know they talk to me about this. I know they're not saved, but I need to share with them what God did in my life. Sometimes we are the ones, most of the time, we are the ones that should be taking the initiative. Yet we stand back and we wait for the church to be the one to take the initiative. How can the church Hasn't been able to help so-and-so with their electric wheel. How come the person, uh, they need gas and they came to church and you guys weren't open. Can you guys give them a call? I don't know how many times we get that. We used to get, I'm not in the front office anymore. We used to get a ton of people that would come in the front door looking for assistance. Of any kind. You'd be shocked. They go from church to church. But their thing is always, but the church is supposed to help us do this. And the church is supposed to help us do that. Or gosh. We're moving. Can you send people from your church over? Well, it's great. We're all a family, but you should network, and you should talk amongst yourselves, and you should grow friendships and relationships because at the end of the day, you are the church. We are the church. We're the ones that are supposed to go out. So I'm going to give it over to Steve, but I want to encourage you. you know, the Bible says just remember two things. We point them to the cross, and we share the love of Jesus. If you do just one and not both, you're imbalanced. If you do just the cross, it's heavy-handed. And if you don't do it without love, you're becoming religious. If you do it just with love, then you have no message and power behind the cross. Amen? All right, Steve.
2: Let's give it up for Suzanne. I took her photo, Kenny, because I, I thought I'd seen a FBI most wanted list, and I could have swore I'd seen that photo on there. Just wanted to confirm. Hey, I just want to mention next weekend we'll have water baptisms. And the reason I want to mention it is Greg's going to be baptizing his mom first, which is kind of cool. And then Reggie's going to be doing the rest of the water baptisms. We've already had three people sign up this morning. And just to show you how planting seeds and evangelizing comes in many different forms, I introduced an 11-year-old boy that's going to get baptized next week. And his mom, Shiloh Lindahl, you guys know her well. We've all planted seeds in Shiloh, probably 100 people in this church, 200, 300. I don't even know how many. But her 11-year-old son's going to get baptized next week. So always remember, no matter what you do or where you're at, Kenny cleans pools for a living. He has people he can evangelize to that I could never evangelize to. So every one of you, as Bob's book says, Commitment to Conquer, we have a sphere of influence, and you can always influence people with the gospel, and it comes in many different forms, and that's what we're going to talk about. But before that, I want to show you a quick video of a singer named Keith Green. This video is only 25 seconds. They ask him what changed his life. What about Jesus changed his life? There's a little kind of funny thing right in the middle of it, but listen to this. How did you know that Jesus was God? He proved it to me.
0: Oh,
3: he
1: changed me. That was the greatest miracle that he could have done. I could have seen, you know, Mount Everest go skipping across the United States and jump into the ocean, and that wouldn't have done as much for me as him changing me.
2: Man, how good is that? The definition for evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching, like Pastor Bob preached a sermon this morning, or personal witness. Revelation 12, 11, Reggie's favorite verse. Most of you know this verse. Listen to this. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, that video right there. And they did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. Now, most of us will not give our lives for Jesus Christ physically. But Tracy, you probably know the verse. It says we must lose our life to find our life. You have to pick up your cross daily and die to self. How hard is it to die to self? Man, my life would be so much easier if I didn't have to live with me. How many people can relate to that? Amen. That's right. Now, listen, the primary purpose of evangelism is to glorify God. When you do that, people's lives will be changed by the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 15, 16 says, and then they told them, or then he told them, Jesus, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. You ever notice when Pastor Bob has the salvation call every week, after he has people pray, he'll ask them to stand up, and he'll say, publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ. Because the enemy doesn't want us publicly to acknowledge Christ. Because when you do that, Helen, when you publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ, You're planting seed. You're planting seed into someone's heart, and that's what starts to change someone's life. How many of you can look back in your life before you were saved, and you look back and you start to see where people were speaking into your life about God, but you didn't realize it at the time? I know when I was in high school, which is ironically because I was high most of the time in high school, not a Christian, I didn't get saved until I was 21. but a girl used to sit in front of me that I would guarantee you was a Christian. She used to the nicest person I've ever been around in my life. I can absolutely say that. And she used to just I'd come into class drunk and stoned, and she's always showing me love and everything, and I was like, "What is with this girl?" The night we graduated. She went to the school I went to in Heron, Illinois, and Marion, Illinois was about 10 miles away. Her boyfriend played for the high school basketball team. She was the valedictorian of our school. A tornado hit that night, and they both died. I remember going to her funeral even as a non-believer, and I was like, what's different about her? Why did so many people show up? And I realized that girl planted a seed in me long before I ever got saved. Always thank the people that planted seeds in your life. The guy that led me to the Lord, I contact him frequently to tell him, thank you, because if you hadn't told me about Jesus, I'd be in hell. Thank God for the people that spread the gospel. It's our responsibility to preach the gospel or the good news, because the gospel, good news, that's what it means. It's God to save people, or as Reggie told me last week, I'm going to give you credit, Reggie. This is tweetable. It is not our responsibility to make sure evangelism succeeds. It's God's. Most of the time, people get fearful to evangelize because they're like, what if it doesn't work? Because then we are concerned about how it makes us look. It's kind of like praying for someone to be healed. But what if it doesn't work? Well, I'm not the healer. I'm just the vessel. I can pray. Do you have something right now you need prayer for? A lot of pain. All right. Come here, Pastor Susan. I'm going to have Pastor Susan pray for you. We're a little bit ahead. I'm going to give you the mic.
4: Where's the pain? Back. Okay. It. Okay. Just put your hands out to her. Father, in Jesus' name, we rebuke this back pain. And, Lord, whatever the cause is, wherever it's located, we pray over every muscle, bone, tendon, every tissue, and we tell you in the name of Jesus to bow. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that's not afar off. You hear our prayers. You even call yourself the God of all hope and the great physician. So we thank you right now, Lord, that you are going to begin this process. I don't care how long it takes. There's even a verse that talks about as you go. As they went, they were healed. So we pray that over you in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, ahead of time for healing here. In the name of Jesus, amen.
2: See what I love about it. And goes back to what I just said to you, Helen, and everyone else here. We're just the vessel. God's the healer. He's the one that saves people. And I'm going to have some verses here in just a minute. It's going to show this to you. Evangelism can come in many different forms. Me and Pastor Bob were talking about this last week. A lot of people think evangelism is only when you pray with someone to be saved. But that's not the case. Evangelism can come in many different forms. Maybe someone, Bob preached to a bunch of people this morning, about 200 people here. Maybe there was someone this morning that the Lord touched their life. They didn't get saved today, but they weren't say I mean, they're not saved, but it planted a seed. So, listen to these verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Paul's talking. He goes, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it but it was God who made it grow. Who made it grow, Reggie? God made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Isn't that great? Takes all the pressure off. I can't save anybody. I couldn't even save myself. You ever notice after you get saved, like I was a train wreck before I got saved, having an affair with a married woman, doing drugs. I was doing everything. I mean, like I was a professional sinner. Any of you professional sinners? But then you get saved and you've been saved for about five or 10 years, and then you're like, everybody else going to hell except for me. <laughs> Praise God, I ain't never had a bad thought. You know what I mean? And you put all this pressure on yourself. Think about Bob and Susan going 50 years in ministry. And you can put the pressure, I know the pressure they get. I see people go, I have to have Pastor Bob and Pastor Susan pray for me. I go, yeah, that's cool. I think people have anointings and they have mantles that they can pass on. But you can grab any Christian's got the Holy Spirit inside of them, especially if they know how to move in that. An older believer in the faith needs the new believer to fire them up. The new believer needs the older believer to help them grow up. You want to hear that again? Older believer in the faith needs a new believer to fire them up. The new believer needs the older believer to help them grow up. So we all need each other. See, God's brilliant that he made the body of Christ. Because as the body, I never think I'm better than someone else. He needs Ryan Irwin that does our sound. Let's give it up for Ryan. And Kyle, Kyle's doing our meeting. But God, God needs Ryan. He needs his wife, Chelsea. Everybody, Jeffrey right back here, everybody, Chris Lopez, Chris out there in the streets ministering to people on a Saturday with the I Love Him a group. Kathy, Kathy Smith goes to groups all the time. She's always ministering to people. But God, in, God needs the body of Christ. Without the body, like Susan always says this, if your foot's missing, you're going to have a problem because God needs the foot. He needs the two hands, he needs the other foot, he needs the leg, he needs it all to come together. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3.15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I'm just curious in here, who gets nervous when a God conversation comes up with someone that you're not typically having a, David? You get nervous about that. And what usually gets you so nervous about it? Yeah. And I think, wouldn't you say, Bob? Yeah, I think everybody, Susan, I think everybody goes through that where you're concerned, like, how am I going to look? But then you realize the Bible even says that in those moments, the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. I used to go out, like, when I first got saved, because, you know, you're just a baby spiritually. So you're like, Kenny, you're going to hell without Jesus. And Tracy, you're going to hell without Jesus. And then, like, I fell back into sin, and I was like, oh, dang. Like, (laughs) I didn't know that could still happen. But then as you grow up a little bit, like, for me, I used to try to manipulate an opportunity to evangelize. Now it just happens. My daughter, Sierra, is not in here right now, but last week after the EDGE class that Kyle taught, we went to Starbucks. We were going through the drive-thru, and a guy named Milton works there. Well, I hadn't seen him in months. So when we drive up. I didn't know he was at the drive-thru. When I drive up, he's like, hey, man, how you doing? And I go, good. And he goes, I really like that book that you gave me. It was by Rex Crane called Life Lift. He goes, it really impacted my life. And I go, oh, that's awesome. I said, I have another book for you. And I gave him a copy of Following Jesus. Now, I didn't lead him to the Lord. I don't think he's a Christian. I'm just planting some seeds. Maybe God's doing a little or maybe someone else is doing a little bit of watering, but eventually God'll bring it to the a harvest. Could be me, could be someone else. That's what I love about God. Tracy, do you feel like there's people you've ministered to that you've planted seeds in their heart? Yeah. Tell me your name, Stephanie. Do you feel like that? Yeah. Do you feel like you've done that in your life? Yeah. In what setting? Yeah, yeah. And you've done it with family, family. (laughs) See, brother and sister right here, by the way. But who would say in here the hardest people to minister to is your family? Like, yeah. Like, dang, that's Susan's. Like, been trying. She's trying to get me saved. She come, come on, brother. No, I know, like, when I first got saved because I had done so many crazy things, when I got saved, Asia, my dad, like, a year after, he's like, what is going on with you? Like, you were doing all this bad stuff, and now you're going to church all the time. Like, he didn't believe it. He didn't think it was for real. He thought I was just doing another scam. I was like, no, I, I love people now. I don't I don't, love, I don't love meth anymore. I love people, <laughs> you know? Like I, don't, I didn't I mean it was you know how it is, you're born again. Like you're born from above. You've got something new in you and it just it changes the way that you see things. So I want to conclude with this. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke 24:13 through 35 says this. That same day that two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, 7 miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognize him, recognizing him. The reason is, is because they had just witnessed the crucifixion. They're walking along, and they're distraught. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. But they don't recognize him. God kept them from that. Because God didn't want them to see him yet, because if they did, they would have a distorted view of Jesus Christ. Jesus had to suffer first for our sins so he could step into glory. Okay. How many of you ever complain to God about God? These two guys are distraught, and they start talking to Jesus. Yeah, think about it. They're distraught, and they start talking to Jesus about Jesus. You ever do that? Like I told Suzanne one night, I was like, man, this is too big for God, The situation. She goes, no, it's just too big for you. When we complain to God about God, we don't realize he's just wanting us to trust him, to believe him. Now, listen, listen to this. Ironically, the distance of the walk is seven miles. Seven in the Bible can mean wholeness, completeness, or perfection. When you walk with perfection, Jesus Christ, you will be compelled to tell others. This is what they did. They begged Jesus to spend the night. You ever beg God to spend the night with you, not to leave you, not to forsake you, even though he already promises that he won't? But here's what they had to see. He broke the bread, and this happened. Suddenly, their eyes were open. And they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. What happened to Jesus after he was crucified? For 40 days, he appeared at different times and would teach them, and he told them, I'm going to send the Comforter to be with you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's almost like a test. You know, on the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 people in the upper room, but after 40 days, there was 500 of them. Ten means test. When we're tested by God a lot of times, we start to back away. But you just have to keep going. These guys, now here's the best part, and I want to end with these verses. Luke 24, 32 through 35, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus was in the garden? He said to them, Could you not tarry with me one hour? They fell asleep, a couple of the disciples, praying. These guys so felt the power of God in their lives. Within one hour, they were walking back another seven miles. You ever get so hungry for God and excited for God, you'll do anything. You'll go anywhere. You'll pick up the phone. You'll send a text. You'll do anything because the fire of God is so in you. They said that burning within them. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. I find it interesting that he appeared to Peter, who denied him three times. Peter did. Actually, all the disciples denied him. They ran away. But Peter denied him three times. But that's our Lord. Comes back. And he appears to Peter. After he appears to the two women, he appears to Peter. It's almost like, Peter, it's okay. I'm back. I'm alive. So when you evangelize, don't put all this pressure on yourself because it's all about Jesus. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as, as he was breaking the bread. When he broke the bread, it symbolized the breaking of his body for our sins. His body, he had to be crucified so he could be glorified. We serve a resurrected Christ, not a dead Christ. If someone has a crucifixion with Jesus hanging on it, he's not hanging there anymore. When you go out to evangelize, Jesus isn't in the universe. The universe is in him. Now think about that. A lot of people go, oh my God, you know, if you pray to the universe, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be universe, universe, universe universe but when you pray to jesus christ the word says it never returns void when you go out to evangelize you have the holy spirit inside of you you're pretty excited about that last thing right here luke 4:18. jesus said the spirit of the lord is on me for he has anointed me to bring good news even jesus christ was anointed to bring the gospel the good news Now he's doing it through all of us. We're the ones that spread the gospel. You don't have to wait for Jesus to return. He did in the form of the Holy Spirit in you. And then until he comes back the second time, guess who gets to grow the kingdom? We do. Pretty exciting, huh? Okay, you guys ready to ask some questions? We have the mic right here. Come on up. I'm going to have my bride come up. Come on over. That's all right. Reggie, you want to ask a question? Come on.
5: Hey, I got one. Oh, go ahead. I got one. How did uh, Jesus evangelize before the cross? In what way? Did he evangelize before the cross? In other words, when he was telling people the word of God, was he evangelizing? Were they getting saved? Example, Nicodemus. How did Nic? What did Nicodemus do to get saved?
2: Because salvation wouldn't have been available at that time. Yeah.
5: Yeah. It wouldn't have been available immediately. Yes. It would have been available after.
2: After the crucifixion, the resurrection. What's that?
5: Yeah, sure he was. No, Nicodemus.
2: Oh, I you said well, we know, right?
5: Wrong conversation. <laughs> yeah,
2: but we know too, after the resurrection or during the time before Jesus was resurrected, he went down to hell and he preached the gospel to yeah. people that had already passed. Right. So but no it is an interesting go ahead. Thing, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think you're kinda asking the question is people almost grandfathered in.
5: Yeah, well they did. They 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 came in by faith. Yes. Okay. They came in by faith, but then at example nicodemus is he saved before the cross or after well then that's the question it's like what happened to everybody in the old testament that didn't have the cross didn't know about the cross didn't see the cross didn't believe in the cross so did they go to heaven sure but i mean where did they go? You got. I'm asking a question. You know the answer. Where did they go before the cross? They went into paradise. Yeah,
2: paradise. And he preached to them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
5: So Jesus preached the gospel, but he never led anybody through the sinner's prayer. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. So when we evangelize, don't you think it's we think we need to get them, okay, bow your head, close your eyes, and <laughs> say this.
2: Because that's what we're used to. That's what we're used yes. to. No, but I agree with you. The yeah.
5: not in the Bible.
2: Like, I think what Pastor Bob's saying is important because, uh, Kenny, how did you get saved? Did you pray with an individual to get saved at a church or, yeah. And was, like, they just come up to you, prayed with you, and how did that kind of take place?
5: Oh, it was like an altar call at the end of the service, and I went up
2: kind of like what Pastor Bob did this morning. Now, obviously, I know you guys, you guys go to community, right? Well, community is a good church, by the way. So, was this when you were younger? Yeah. See, I, it's interesting, too, because everyone here has their story. Like, when I got saved, I got saved over the telephone. A guy had been ministering to me for a couple months, and then we were on the phone. He Invited me to church. This was on a Saturday night. And I was like, I'm tired of listening to that Jesus stuff. And he said, I just don't want you to go to hell. And I said, Well, I feel like I've lived in hell for the first 20 years of my life. And he goes, No, I mean a real hell. And then he quoted Romans 10 9 10 If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. I prayed. I remember feeling like a a bolt of electricity come into my body. And like two or three days later, I went to the bowling alley and the lady I'd been having an affair with, I was like, I can't be with you anymore. I met Jesus. And she's like, what? Weren't we just, like, doing meth and all this other kind of stuff last week? But I had just this dramatic conversion. I think we all have our own story. So you're right. There is no certain way, cookie-cutter way, which is great. Because if there was, you would feel like you had to do it a certain way for it to work. And then you remove God from the situation.
5: you almost feel like if you don't lead him through the sinner's prayer, you failed. No, when you're evangelizing... You're, bit, you're simply telling people, and if they don't pray the sinner's prayer, it doesn't mean you failed.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. I no, think it's we get exa-
5: this idea. If you don't lead them, then you didn't do your job. Yeah. Oh, no,
2: Because I'm sure there's a lot of people in your life that probably got saved later. Like Pastor Bob ministered to a, an officer for a long time, going because he's a chaplain for the city of Hammond. I won't mention who it is, but for the longest time. And then eventually he stood up in an altar call, That he had done but when he come up front I said oh I I seen you stood up did you give your life to Christ and he goes I'm not sure if I really understand it can you pray with me to do that I was like cool yeah so he had already planted seed watered seed and all that I was just there for the harvest so I think that's the thing is that it looks different for different people Reggie you have a question come here Susan you want to get the mic I'll let you get this next one
3: yeah I'm loud all right um so it says in philippians that uh that it's to gain with to to suffer for christ's gain basically and so my question is i found because i was one of those people that com- that that comment that i made about not putting the pressure on me for my my evangelizing to to succeed that a lot of times i, I feel that pressure but i found And I just want you guys opinion on this, that the best way to evangelize is to allow people to see the good news working in your life. And then uh, and and then being able to uh, explain that or to like if you're going through something, why why are you still smiling or why are you still able to. You know what I'm saying? So basically, by the way you live your life and allowing the good news to work in your life, the gospel to actually show the fruit. So I just want to see what you guys thought about that.
1: Yeah, well, no, I think that's all right. I mean, you're the verse that he said is one of your favorite in revelations. We overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Absolutely. By the blood of the lamb. But I always say, you know, However hard your testimony is that you're going through, because our testimony is ongoing. It doesn't just stop when you get saved. It's an ongoing testimony. And I always say, if you if you've done something wrong, Satan can't hold against you what you're willing to shout out. You know, if I yell out, gosh, I was a drug addict and I did this and I did that. There's no shame. I know that I've been redeemed by the cross. I know that I walk in freedom. You know, all the things that I've done in the past are now my testimony. The enemy can't hold that against me. And, yeah, I think our sufferings can be part of that. Plus, if you look in the New Testament, all the writings of Paul, most of the time he opens up a a book that he's writing to somebody, whether it's Timothy or the Thessalonians, and he'll remind them of what he's done. Hey, you remember when I was there and I did this, this, and this, and you remember when I went through that? He always reminds them of the sufferings that he's had, but also the good stuff that he's had that he walks through. it, And then he goes on to evangelize and give them more
2: good news. Yeah, and I was thinking, too, there's a verse, I can't remember exactly where it's at, that says, let your good deeds be shown before men so you can show yourself approved. And I think that's the thing is, once again, there is no cookie-cutter way for it to work. It's the Holy Spirit. Nobody's has cornered the market on evangelism or salvation. And if anyone ever tells you that, tell them to leave your life because that's satanic.
1: Well, and I don't think evangelism stops at salvation. No. I mean, that's an ongoing, that's an ongoing thing. You can have crusades where thousands of people get saved, but somebody's got to disciple them. Somebody's got to take them from, wow, okay, so you walked up at, you know, this harvest crusade, thousands of people. Now, now what happens? You know, you got to figure out. One,
2: it's be- the verse in Matthew where it says, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and yes, and, and making disciples. And I think a lot of times it does stop at salvation. Someone gets saved, but they never get discipled. And, and that's something as believers as a church, that's where you can help grow people up. Now, you've got to do a lot of work through the week. You know, if you want to grow your relationship with the Lord, I mean, Tracy, you've been married to Freddie for how long? Yeah. So if you spend the next 30 days not talking to your husband that relationship is not going to grow. And that's what we do a lot of times with God. We come, we get a word on a Sunday morning, or we get a word on a Sunday night, or someone has a great conversation, maybe in Reggie's group, or one-on-one with Greg Goodfield. But you don't allow that. You don't grow yourself up. You don't allow David said he edified himself in the book of Psalms. And go ahead, Greg. I know you have a question. I think it's a question.
0: Um, So with with evangelism, I've been testing the waters in different ways, um, just within my own household, because I I have a firm non-believer, and then I have a believer, I think. (laughs) Interesting. It's interesting. Anyway, um, in the process of asking if I could pray for them, you know, in times of sickness or whatever, um, being refused that, you know, being flat out told no, don't, don't even bother. Or, you know, why don't you go to church? Because I don't believe. And it's like, okay. You know, and, and it's, but I don't stop. You know, I'll let a few days go by or, or a few weeks and I'll throw another seed down or I'll water seeds that I've already put there. And that's something I, I, I just... Because I think a lot of young Christians like myself, they think that you know, that, you know, that we know evangelism is important, right? We have, we have to spread the word. So we spread the word, and we fall on our face, and we think, oh, we're a horrible Christian. But I don't believe that, because it, nowhere in there does it say to successfully spread the word. You know, it doesn't say to go save like you have to save this many people. You just have to spread the word. Is that right?
1: I don't know that you can say a successful evangelism because if I if I say that I was successful in evangelizing you, then does that mean that when you fall and stubble, that's on me too? So it like I think a lot of times we look at like Paul uh, in the Bible, and I and I taught this last Sunday too. And Paul in the Bible, we look at it as though he was this great man of faith, and yes, he was, but he still had faults. If I hang. Uh, how good you are because you came up at an altar call on the fact that I preach good, then I should also hang my hat on when you stumble. Because I can't take credit for what everybody else has done to get you to the altar. I just happened to preach the sermon that got you here. So I think at the end of the day, it's like what I said in the beginning, you have to point them to the cross, but you also got to give them love. So yeah, I mean, they know you're coming to church, but live your life in such a way that it points them to the cross. Live your life in such a way that... You give them the love of Jesus. Whether or not they think you are, you're still giving them the love of Jesus. So I think it goes hand in hand.
2: Well, and I think it goes back to the verse that I was shared earlier. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And I think when you're doing what the Holy Spirit is guiding you to do, then you allow God to work on that seed that's been planted in the person's heart. Does that make sense?
3: My name is R. K. Lewis. How you guys doing? Um I just wanna know how do you like bring unity unity within the church. That's like within the church, within outside, within everybody, like just unity, serenity, peace.
2: Well, you know the Lord's prayer. When you go through the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this daily uh forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us give us this daily bread everything is us and they and them and i think a lot of times if you and bob and susan could probably answer this as well for pastoring for so long unity is a tough thing a lot of times if we start having agendas i've noticed that i cause disunity in the body of christ when i have an agenda and an agenda can be let's say if someone comes up in and they're only focused on politics or they're only focused on abortion or they're only focused on this and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit, like me and Reggie were talking about this or, or maybe it was Kyle before service that I could sit for an hour and listen to a sermon. I love listening to sermons. She's not going to do that. She'll listen to worship music. But if that push that on everybody that come in the church, oh, you better listen to a sermon every day or three sermons a day. But the body is... Very unique. So I think, R.K., is that ultimately you have to allow the Holy Spirit to show you what piece of the puzzle you are. And when you do that, you're not trying to push an agenda. You realize that we're all a piece of the puzzle. Does that make sense? Great
6: answer. Go ahead, John. So soon. I think this is our last one, right? Meeting. No, We no, have no. a couple more?
2: No, actually, uh, we're, we're, we're going to the Well Church next week, and then Pastor Bob's doing Palm Sunday, April So we 2nd. have one more? Uh, we're going to
6: continue. Oh, yeah, we are? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, good. Probably well, Pastor Susan
2: will have pretty soon, too. So
6: This is more of a – I'm not trying to be defensive or anything. This is more of a, a clarity to me because um, we're living in a crazy world right now. Um, my question is, on September 23rd, 2017, because um, I, I, I do telescopes and I look at the stars and stuff like that, so I always believe God gives us signs from the heavens or from the stars. I don't know if you if we believe that, or, but I kind of do. So on September 23rd, 2017, um, it, the stars lined up, in the heavens, I call it, or space, call it what you want. Uh, they lined up, so we had the. It, you could pull it up on the internet because all you have to do is put the date and the year. Uh, and what pulled up is the uh, the woman in labor, uh, and then Jupiter, <coughs> I believe it's Jupiter, went through her belly. <coughs> I'm trying to find out do we think this is a sign from the second coming of Christ because the woman in labor or is this the start of the book of Revelations back in 2017 of what we're living in? I wanted to bring that question up when we first started because we were talking about pyramids and stuff like that. So I'd never, I, I said, well, we'll probably answer it along the way. So it never came up. I, it's out of my realm, but i was trying to guess so if, is this really a true sign?
1: So, I'll give you my opinion. Okay. Um, number one, yeah, I think the Bible talks about, you know, all of creation is God's. God right. created all of creation. He is the creator. So, absolutely, I think everything in creation should point back to Christ, should point back to the glory of God and glorify who he is and how great he is and mm-hmm. the wonder of so many things that we don't understand. However my side to you and i'm sure others would have different opinions is how does it change what you're doing in your christian walk right now it doesn't so at the and end the, of the well day, maybe
6: it's made it stronger
1: so so for you mm-hmm. i think that's great mm-hmm. i think as long as it points you back to the cross then i think that's great i think there's a lot of things that happen in the skies that you know nasa knows a whole lot more than i do that's not the way my brain works so i don't go in that direction however at the end of the day It all should point back to Jesus. So whether it's the second coming, whether it's a book in Revelation or a chapter in Revelations, Mm -hmm. however you want to label it, if it doesn't point back to Jesus Christ and it doesn't change your life and what you're doing now, then.
6: Well, it it confirms to me that there really is God.
2: See, (laughs) I think you just hit on something that's important. That's things like that speak to you. Mm-hmm. So if it speaks to you, yeah. it strengthens you. It could be like almost some uh, something prophesying into your life, or even evangelizing to you. But anyone that was around in 1988, I got saved in 1985. It's a good question, by the way. You guys would remember this, September 12th, 1988. Okay, sorry, she wow. weren't born yet, so you missed this. Wow. For about a year, it was told throughout Christianity that. A guy wrote a book called 88 Reasons Jesus Christ is Going to Come Back in 1988. Churches were packed that Sunday. I was in Texas at the time. That church was packed. I'm sure you guys experienced the same thing. He didn't come back. Then the guy wrote a book, 89 Reasons that Jesus (laughs) is Coming Back in 1989. So – I think we obviously know by the signs of the time, John, and I think that's the cool thing about the Holy Spirit. God will use different things to speak to you. Like Pastor Susan delves into a lot of things that she feels like is confirmations or signs of God pointing to his second coming. At the end of the day, when people ask me, when is Jesus coming back? And I go, the day he comes back. That part. So is there signs? Most definitely. Anybody that tells you they know the date, they're lying. They don't. So... I think, but for you, I think it speaks to you because that's kind of a, sounds like almost a love language for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh Come here, Bob. Uh Uh Uh-oh. Well, Uh I'm going to let you and Susan talk about this.
4: I I wanted to actually address something, Greg, that you said um, about your family, but I wanted to address that too. Um, You know, when Nicodemus, when the the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, "What, what more do I have to do? And he told him there was one more thing he had to do, like sell his stuff. He didn't say all this stuff. Just sell and follow me. We couldn't do it. He went away. I have always thought it was amazing that Jesus didn't tra- track that guy down. Wait, wait, let's renegotiate. Let's talk some more. He, he just let him go. So the guy had to deal with it. A lot of people believe, and Bob actually did a sermon on this, that that rich young ruler was Nicodemus, who later bought Jesus' tomb and was at – we totally met him at night. Totally changed his life. So I think when we evangelistically pursue people too much, especially family members, can really put a wedge in there. Like like they don't even want to see you coming after a while. And what Jesus did was just let this guy walk off and stew on it for a while. And the best thing, and Reggie always says it too, it's let them look at your life. Going to church, see you later, I'm going to miss you, bye. Yeah. Well, let them think about that. So
0: <laughs> That's that's more or less where I've gotten with it. Okay. Okay. Um, as a follow-up to my question um one of the members i've completely stopped more or less just yeah okay that's that's your that's your deal have fun in hell um i didn't I haven't said that but it's there it's in my it's my in my mind but the other member um i'm more delicately still give the gospel um because she's still somewhat open to it, but she's not like eager for it. So yeah, that'd be discerning.
4: I knew a wife once who followed her wife, her husband around the house with tracks. It's like if you think this is going to win him, he is in competition with God. So just leave him alone for a while. Okay, good. The other thing is this: um, there's a teaching on the Mesorah, which is the zodiac, the twelve zodiac signs. They're really signs in the in the Hebrew calendar, and they actually month by month tell the story of the the, um of god and this is just one verse but um the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament showeth his handiwork day unto day others utter speech and night unto night showeth knowledge so steve's right where's steve go steve's right i i love stuff like this because i think you can look in the heavenlies and all it does to me is confirm god how amazing is God? I should get that teaching out again, that we can look at Virgo and we can look at the one with the weights. Every single one of those emblems or um, symbols in Zodiac, don't read your sign. They're not. They're bad. They're bad. But in the Mesereth for the Hebrew calendar or Hebrew, I don't know what you call it, they all mean something. One is you were judged and you were found weighty, wanting. The, the Virgo lady is virgin, and she's holding sheaves in her hand, and some it shows the virgin birth. I mean, every single one of those 12 symbols is something in the Bible. And I love that because before God made us, he set those in the heavenlies, and you can read – the whole story of redemption of redemption for pity's sake they have the, the goat up there it's been sacrificed it's been a long time but a lot of them so I'm with you on that I love stuff like this I just think it's cool to look and say look at God planned the story of our redemption even before he made us and you can look in the heavenlies and read the whole thing it's pretty cool
5: any other questions
3: hi again my name is RK Lewis um I just want to know, because um, I have my own personal things I go through, so how does everybody deal with, like, guilt and shame?
5: Guilt and shame. Anybody here that doesn't? <laughs> well, you know, what? what you do is you, first of all, realize that salvation is total forgiveness. When you're saved, you're forgiven not only for what you've done, but what you will do, all sin is already paid for. There's no price, there's nothing left. Does that make sense? So evangelism is trying to explain to people that it's not about you being good because there's none good but God, okay? So Christianity ends up being this success or failure issue, whether you get it all right or you do something wrong. Evangelism is trying to explain to people that it's a relationship. And in a relationship, there's always hard times and there's always good times. There's times of failure, times of mistakes. Knowing that, you're always gonna be loved. Have Susan and I ever had an argument? (laughs) No. Does a bear live in the woods? Okay. All right, so you understand that you learn to forgive and you learn to accept your forgiveness because it's all been done on the cross. You can't go back. You have to go forward. Jesus did what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, but it's current today. Does that make sense? Yes. The problem is, is how do you communicate to people something that has already been done for them? All they have to do is accept it. Anybody have any answers? What do you? D- I would say, I would say. Hold on. Hang on. Here it comes.
4: I would just say, for an answer for you on that, on dealing with guilt and shame, it's like God, you repent. You got to, I'm so sorry, and I will never do that again. If nothing else, you know, the righteous keep getting up seven times. You learn, and you go, dang, I did that again. I mean, kick yourself where it counts and get up again and go, I'm not gonna do that anymore, and you've dealt with it, you're but sincere about it. There
5: can be situations where you need deliverance. You can, if, if you repent over something, and matter of fact, if you sin, once you're saved, if you sin, do you lose your salvation? Can you lose it? No. Nah. How do you know that?
3: How do you know, if you can lose How do you know
5: that you can't lose your salvation? because you're never good enough anyway in the first place. You're saved by grace through faith. That, nothing Nothing about that says you have to be perfect. If your sins can keep you from being saved, then you're saved by works, not by faith. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you just give everybody a license to sin? Yes, you did. You did. You literally, I I understand what you, you're actually technically right, but if you think about it, once you're saved, the only way you can be unsaved is how? Wait a minute. Raise a hand. How? How how, how do you get unsaved? Openly doing what? Refusing, rejecting? Okay. You didn't lose it. You threw it away, do, but do you actually believe you can throw it away? No. That, that, okay. That's this is part of the discussion. <laughs> You're gonna fry like sausage. Okay. Okay. <laughs> actually, actually, I don't think. There may be examples of people that have turned back and denied their faith. I don't, I, you know, I don't personally know anybody that's denied their faith and turned their back on Jesus. Can it happen? Anything can happen. But again, it goes back to evangelism is trying to share a relationship with, with, the, with the Lord and communicating it through your life. That's why I asked the question, was Nicodemus saved when Jesus had that conversation with him? No, in the Old Testament, how were you saved? You remember, you were saved. Not you, you weren't. You were saved by faith in what? It, you were saved by faith that God would send the answer. Right? That makes sense. Okay. So in the Old Testament, where did they go when they died, before Jesus was, was death uh, uh, crucified and resurrected? Where did Okay, you remember where that is? Paradise was a holding place, someplace, under the earth before hell. Remember what Jesus does? Uh, He's crucified. He dies. Where does he go? He goes to paradise. And he preaches to who? Everybody in the Old Testament that died in faith that one day God would send Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, so he goes down and preaches to them and says, "Guys, I'm the one. Follow me." And what does he do? The New Testament tells us that people actually saw people in the Old Testament walking the streets. So that means they now go to heaven. Now, today we don't go to a holding tank. What, is, what does the Catholic Church believe? There's purgatory. There's no purgatory. There was a version of purgatory that was in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, you're to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You go one way or the other. That's it. How did we get here? How did we get to this part of the conversation? Okay? Another question. Okay, come on. No, no. Go to the mic so everybody can hear. Go mic. to the mic so everybody can hear.
3: Once again, I'm R.K. Lewis. Um, to go to the penitentiary and successfully get out, you have to be penitent. And penitent is like remorseful, sad, sorry. Sorry.
5: Okay. Repentance. You want to add, Steve?
2: Is that, is that true or not? That's
3: what
5: I want <coughs> yeah. So
2: if you go into Hebrews, it talks about, I don't have the verse in front of me, but it talks about When you turn against God, it's like crucifying Christ all over again. It wasn't people losing their salvation. It was people that were going back to Judaism and denouncing that Jesus Christ and what he did ever mattered. No. So that's what it is.
5: Okay. All right. Anybody else? Because we're going to finish here in just a moment.
1: So I want to go back to his question. I know he had his hand raised. So the... The original question that you had, the last one, was about things that you do and how mm-hmm. do you... Um, guilt and shame. The, the guilt and shame. So my opinion, <laughs> based on the Bible, <laughs> is that is that it's, it's like a marriage. The more I distance myself in my marriage, in my relationship, the further apart I get. It doesn't make me any less married. I'm still married. I still have a covenant. But I can do things that put a distance between me and that person in a relationship. So you be in that person in a relationship with Christ. When you get saved, you have a relationship. The only thing that puts distance is sin, which is why Christ came to put that take away the barrier. That's why it says when he died on the cross and the the veil was torn because there was a, a barrier that only the priests, only certain people can go into. Well, now when Christ died and Christ came, he rose, he conquered death, he took away that barrier. So as long as you put sin in the way between you and Christ, the more distance you have, the more you're not willing to admit the things that you've done wrong, because we're all going to still do things wrong. We think wrong. We act wrong. We say things wrong. That's part of our human nature that we have to overcome through Christ. So, but it doesn't take his love away from you. Even the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, his forgiveness never goes away. You can put distance there. And you can feel further away and hear him less and less, but you're further away. It doesn't change your relationship. So no malice. You should
3: have no malice in your heart.
1: You should have what? You
3: should have, like, no malice, no spite, no
5: envy.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, if if the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, why would the Holy Spirit dwell in something that is not godly? So, yeah, I mean, we have to put on the mind of Christ. And even that verse, I think it's in... Timothy or Thessalonians, one of them that says to put on the mind of Christ. When you study that word, it actually means to renovate back to its original condition, which if you go all the way back, the original condition was was Adam, was Adam and Eve. God created it to be perfect. We think as though God thinks we're made in the image of Christ. So when we put on the mind of Christ, we should think as though we are are living through Christ with Christ in us. And that that can't be an unholy thing.
3: One more, one more, last uh, question from me. I, okay, so what I want to know is if you can give. Okay, so the fruit of the spirit. Okay, out of the 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 nine fruit of the spirit, if you could give one of those, which one of those would be the most important for evangelizing? And come on, let me finish the and. Oh, God. Okay, so. First part my no, but see, I would, see. Okay. The
1: greatest of these is okay. Love. I'm see, sorry. so Go ahead.
3: Go okay. Ahead. okay. Well, I I was going to get up here and say, <laughs> Pastor Susan, Suzanne, you spoke about love. Why is love the most important and most powerful tool that we have in our Christian walk?
1: Because love conquers all. Love conquered death. The whole reason that Christ came was because of His love for us. So, of course, to me, of course, it's a Given that the greatest of them is love, because that's that's everything that the Bible hinges on. Everything that Christ did on the cross, conquer grave, everything
4: goes back to his love for us. Every other gift works by love. There's a verse that says faith worketh by love, patience worketh by love, long suffering worketh by love, joy worketh by love, all of that. She she, she said it. Okay
5: once.
2: And then one other thing I just wanted to say with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's actually the fruit. It doesn't have an S on it. So I, when you I mean, allow the Holy Spirit I mean, to flow in one, yeah, they I all should flow out of it.
3: I was in my mind trying not to say the S. My fault. My bad. It, it slips out
5: sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you're forgiven.
3: <laughs> thank, thank you.
5: <laughs> thank you. <That's> so <laughs> okay. You know, if we could communicate to people how forgiven they are, you know, because how many people do we talk to that they don't want anything to do with us because they think we condemn them? Because so much of Christianity actually condemns a sinner rather than just loving him. I mean, come on, look at Jesus. You know, I mean Jesus knew all along who Jesus was. I will I will go to my grave always remembering if Jesus can be patient with Judas all the way to the end. He, Jesus knew early on he was, he was a betrayer. He told him, he says, you, you, you're a thief. He knew he'd stole money. He was stealing money all along, and Jesus didn't pull the chain on him. Jesus didn't bust him. Jesus forced him to do it on his own because he's never going to buttonhole you. He's not out to condemn you. Okay? Anything else? Going once. Going twice. Going three times? Okay, so you're going to, everybody's going to Stater Brothers, and we're going to lead somebody to Jesus. What about Walmart?
3: Yeah. Okay, I'm you know.
5: Switch it. I can't like Walmart. Come on. I'm a Walmart fan. All right, we're going to Walmart. Hey. No, 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 no. No, no. <laughs> Hello. I always go to Walmart when I need entertainment, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, uh, the fact that your word is faithful and your word is true. Jesus, all we want to do is learn how to communicate you to other people. Please help us. Holy Spirit, empower us in Jesus' name. And Everybody said, Amen. we love you. God bless you. Go go to Walmart.
0: Thank you for joining us today at DP City. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. And you could connect with us at dpcitypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to give tithes and offerings at DP City Church, you can do so on our website, www.dpcitychurch.com. We appreciate your support in this ministry and looking forward to seeing you on campus. Have a blessed day.